Welcome to the Self-Evident and Forgotten Podcast, a show with conversations on the truths of liberty and odd opinions. We're your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. As always, the opinions we express are ours and ours alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of our employers or any other organization we may belong to. Wherever you are, and however you're listening and whatever you're doing, thanks for tuning in. Now relax and enjoy the show. everybody and welcome to self-evident and forgotten we are your hosts stanton christie and cody liberty lovers alike share common values a principle of limited government a belief in the fundamental equal dignity and rights of all people and an enduring sense that freedom is not only an effective foundation for society but a moral foundation however There are times when we liberty lovers can have serious disagreements with real impact on not only policy, but on the movement for freedom itself. We would like to begin a series of those disagreements here on our podcast with what we will call the Great Debate episodes. And today we begin with the question of immigration. But first, the random question of the episode, Christine Cody. What are you doing to celebrate the victory of Christy Burton Brown as the new chairwoman of the Colorado Republican Party? Well, I'm good. thank you. That random question is clearly for me. Um, I am celebrating by a week of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. You take office like upon being elected at the close of that meeting. So you're elected and bam, you're the chairman. So <laughs> it is uh, my um, my parents did actually make me an amazing dinner when I, they were watching my kids. So my husband and I came home and they had like literally my favorite food. Most of my parents are good cooks. Um, so that was fun. And it's nice. fantastic. I created to celebrate. Yeah. I'm so What's your favorite food? What, what did they have ready for you? So my dad makes these amazing burritos. He cooks the meat in like a cast iron skillet and then has a green chili sauce. And it's amazing. And then my mom makes eclairs actually with like a perfect chocolate. Is it called ganache? I don't know, but it's mm. delicious. Okay. <laughs> burrito, a burrito eclair kind of combo. <laughs> Mix it all up. Yeah. It's good. I think I'm just going to spend the entire episode referring to Christy as, do you, so do you prefer chairwoman, chairperson, chairman? Is there <laughs> so I, a, one, I answer to all, but I'm going with chairwoman. I don't really care, but. So I, I think we'll just address Christy as Madam Chairwoman for the remainder of. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, I know, I know I am most certainly excited that, that Christy is one. That's, that's going to be a great, uh, boon to a party that needs a, a, a fresh breath of life in Colorado. So I'm really, really excited. Looking forward to what you do, Christy. Um, in terms of what Christy's going to be doing, she's going to be working with all sorts of local leaders, both in the Republican Party, but also in the broader freedom movement. And she's going to be discussing policy platforms, discussing the ideas of what should we do on abortion? What should we do on economics? What should we do, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the issues that she and we all in society have to ask ourselves is how do we deal with immigration? Because it's not something that just solves itself. There are some things that solve itself, but this is not one of them. Um, and before we kind of dive in, because uh, Cody, Christy, and I, we share, a, uh, uh, we have three pretty different views on this. And so in order to kind of keep ourselves uh, grounded, we want to provide you, our audience, and ourselves with a kind of common definition and a common understanding of immigration. We'll twist it here and there just to make sure we're, we're flexible. But when we talk about immigration, um, it assumes that there is a that there are government controlled territories with defined and controlled borders that the citizen of one nation under a government crosses over the border into a, another nation right and so this is where you get the premise of legal and illegal immigration right it implies a law overseeing the process of crossing that border right it is not generally speaking, a discussion of moving 
into or through one's private property, right? You know, it, um, if I cross the, the fence between my property and my neighbor's property, that's not necessarily immigration, okay? If it's done with his permission, it's a barbecue. If it's done without an invitation, it's trespassing, and he mm -hmm. has every right to do as he sees fit to defend his property. The debate, as you're going to find, I think, essentially can devolve around three camps, okay? The first one is, and I got to make sure I get this right, because when I was thinking about this earlier, uh, I wanted to make sure I had, I had my ducks in a row. One of them is that in our current society where the majority and even minorities can wield political power against the individuals, some amount of border and immigration requirements are going to have to happen. In a purely constitutional society, however, almost none would be necessary. That's camp one. Camp two uh, looks a bit um, more... Well, I guess suppose you say more conservative. Having laws on immigration is proper and right, both in consideration of national security, national identity, and economic prosperity. And the third camp is somewhat in between, depending. We'll see how this goes. Uh, so long as there are nation states, whether those governments own property or not, laws regarding the movement of people across borders is absolutely necessary, even if those laws should be loose free and easy for workers to move across the border, okay? So we're going to kind of take this approach one at a time. Um, Cody, I think we'll start with you. I was going to have Chrissy go, but I think she's been talking so much these past few days and from, and from her convention. We'll, we'll give her just a little bit more time. Trust Thank her you. voice. Thank Cody, you. why don't you go ahead first? Oh, well, I'm the tough one to go first because I fall like in between our, like we're already having a trouble figuring out our categories. And I don't even think I fall in one of our defined categories necessarily. <laughs> Shocker. It's like I tried to figure out what we thought before we talked about it. I might be wrong here, but let's see what you got. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's a lot of, of problems that we need to be talking about when we're talking about immigration policy for the purposes of liberty, right? So, I mean, there's constitutional questions, there's interpretation questions, there's economic benefit questions, and these all kind of uh, muddy the water. And so when you're talking about the net benefit in any one of those situations, it's easy to say like, you know, economically, immigrants are generally a net benefit to the system, right? Um, so there's, there, you can make certain conclusions in certain realms. The problem you run into is, you know, we no longer have a government that is solely dedicated to the defense of individual rights and property. I think if you have a constitutional form of government that is solely dedicated to the protection of individual rights and property, then uh, immigration is a lot less important because you don't have a majority or even a political minority that can wield the power of government against their fellow man. And that's the biggest problem. But because we've eroded so many of those constitutional safeguards, I think that there is probably a, a proper role of government in um, regulating immigration in some way. I think that that from a, a liberty perspective, that should be as permissive as possible, uh, in my view, because nothing makes me inherently more special just because I was born in Southern California. In fact, many would argue my birth in Southern California <laughs> makes Negates me inherently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have had to uh, apologize for being a Californian since I left California. So, um, you know, nothing, nothing changes. I mean, I was born 30 minutes from the Mexican border and, you know, so why should I live in a system that better respects my individual rights and my property rights than somebody that was born an hour South of me, right? That, that is a human being. They deserve just as much dignity as I deserve. Um, and so I think that we should highlight when we talk about American exceptionalism, we should highlight that our system is exceptional. 
and that the constitution and the constitutional republic that was created for us, that we created, our political ancestors created, is special. And if you look at, I, I will take it 10 times out of 10 if I had a choice of, of a government to pick in, in today's world. Um, but I do think that we should, you know, make it as simple and easy as possible for individuals who want to become a part of American society to become a part of American society. So you're obviously not in favor of building a wall. I no, I don't know that there's a whole ton of effectiveness towards a wall too. Once you get into like pragmatic concerns, um, if maybe there are, it's, it's something that I haven't looked all too in depth of. I think um, when Trump was discussing the wall, when the former president Trump was discussing the wall and when there was so much debate back and forth, I feel like very little of it, like most political debate was actually based in any sort of fact or, or helpful policy. Um, you know, I think that the, the government needs to be limited to its appropriate circumstances. So uh, some of the construction of, of the wall infringed on private property. Right. Eminent domain concerns. So then, so then they need to be paying out the appropriate amount. And I don't know if that happened. Um, I would be interested to hear the experiences of, of actual people that live uh, and not like just the random political tidbits, of course, that's quoted from an hour long interview of people that actually live and work around the border. So I would be interested to hear that. So I don't really have a, a strong position on the construction of a wall. Um, what do most... you have a, a strong concern on when it comes to like, when it comes to like concrete policy, whether either what we're doing or what we're not doing, do you have like a practical um, passion, so to speak, uh, something that you are definitely concerned about that has a direct influence on this question? Yeah. I mean, I think the U.S. does a bad job of making it possible for people to immigrate, right? The government makes everything so difficult and there are so many hoops to jump through for anything. I mean, we experience that in our daily lives. I mean, pick something like <laughs> Washington red tape is, is horrible. Yeah. So I can only imagine, and I know it's bad with immigration, but I can only imagine how bad it really is when you're dealing with those processes you know, the vast majority of, of illegal immigrants in the United States are visa holdovers, right? They're not illegal border crossers. It's people that come here for an education visa or uh, a short-term work visa, and now those visas expire and they just stay. That's the vast majority of illegal immigrants in the United States. Um, so you're primarily concerned about the fact that that because people can wield political power, you're, you you want to make, maintain some sort of immigration restrictions. Are you at all concerned about like national security or national identity or anything like that? Um, man, I don't. Now I feel like I'm just. What is this? Are we having a podcast about liberty or is this like a intervention for Cody's? <laughs> Dude, um, you want to have an intervention? Let's talk about your sunburn. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, for those of you that are listening, which is everybody, um, I had a work event in uh, on a golf course in South Carolina yesterday, so or two days ago. So I spent six hours thawing out in the sun after being uh, through winter, and my you know delicate complexion did not deal with it as well as I did. So Cody might be uh, used to that Southern California sun, but he forgot about the altitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I think there are always going to be um, security concerns with some things. I think that there are always going to be less concerned about national identity concerns. Um, you know, I've met plenty. Of, I mean, I've, I've represented individuals who are immigrants to the United States that embody the American spirit way more than, you know, progressives that I went to college with. We've I've represented individuals that were refugees from Cuba, and they care so much more about the American ideal and the Constitution and the Declaration and the ideals that are are contained in that than people that were in my law school con law class. So I don't think that the American ideal is confined to individuals that are born within the confines of our borders. I think that that ideal is so much more than that and is so much more powerful than that, that individuals who are immigrating here also uh, can certainly and, and often do certainly exhibit those same beliefs and views and, and love for that principle of, of all men being created equal. Right. There's something that you said. I'm not going to 
go over it now because I think it's going to be a lot of fun later. Maybe we'll see. But I want to see uh, hear from hear from Christy now. Christy, I know that you have a, a slightly different view, maybe on a degree, maybe on on actual type. But how do you approach this this thing, this immigration aspect? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a very complicated and hotly debated issue, and I. Am... I have a lot of views on it. <laughs> Honestly, as probably anyone who's really looked at the issue does. I think, you know, I, I guess I'll start off by just saying I believe any country has the right to set its own immigration policy because I believe law and order matters so much. And I believe part of national identity is having that ability to set the confines of your own country and to set your own rules for who can cross your borders and how they can do it. Um, I think one of the biggest problems with the American system and immigration is that we make laws that flat out aren't enforceable. So I think, <laughs> and, and we see that all over the legal system and political system in America, but if you're going to make a law on an issue, don't make a book of laws that no one understands and no one can enforce and no one wants to enforce, make laws that are simple and clear. So I have a lot of problems with how complicated the immigration system is. When I actually first got married, my husband had been really involved with international students and to be people who come over, you know, on specific visas to study at DU and other colleges. And he would, you know, let them stay with him while he was, or sorry, while they were finding an apartment. And, you know, a lot of times he'd be interested in like attending an American church and getting plugged into things like that. So we did it when we first got married. And one of the, the girls from China I met through that experience, it's exactly what you said, Cody. I mean, she still actually lives in California now with her husband. She married a pastor and she lives like the American dream. She I absolutely would classify her as a real American. I don't care that she was born in China. Like you can come here and embody the American spirit. And we should support real immigration. We should support refugees. I think we should grant more asylum to people who truly deserve it, who are seeking political and religious asylum and are being persecuted in their countries. That's probably actually what I'm really passionate about on the immigration issue. But I always go back to the fact, in order to preserve our own private property rights in America, I believe the nation has to establish its own property rights and exercise its own law and order system, because I believe that having a secure and enforceable immigration system actually enables the government to protect the, pro the property rights of its citizens. Uh, there's probably a lot of layers to that claim, but that I actually believe that happens. So one of the things, um, you know, Cody's talking about having really kind of uh, as loose of a uh, of an immigration system as possible, right? Um, when it comes to how, how you understand the, the you know the right to establish borders and to control those borders, do you think you know you want to make this the process simpler? But do we allow as many people who want to come as possible, or do we have a a quota? Do we have limits? Like how how do you think about that in, in terms of? Yeah, very valid question. So I, I do think a country has a right to have quotas. I think when the country sets quotas, it should take a lot of things into consideration. For example, I have a big problem with how we set quotas on Jews during World War II. Mm. There were a lot of Jews that died at the hands of the Nazis because the United States set a low quota and would turn people back to Germany. And, and let them die. So again, you can probably tell what I really care about is asylum seekers and refugees. And I'm not convinced we should have quotas on those kind of people, but legal immigrants or just people who just want to immigrate because they do, because they want the American dream, because they want to come over or, you know, people who maybe try and put themselves in a certain box, but it's really not asylum seeking. They just want a better life. Um, you know, I agree. America is the best country on earth. If you want a free life, like here's where you come uh, or a life of freedom is what I mean by that. Um, but I think we, in order to protect our own people, like we do have a sense of national identity. Our first priority is to protect the people who are already Americans, to protect their right to live in the kind of homes and cities and communities that they live in right now. And I think it's a security issue. If you just have wide open borders 
no quotas, your system is going to get overloaded. And there's going to be people all around the world who are going to flood into America. I mean, of course, we see that happening right now. And it's only going to expand if we limited the laws and, and just opened up the border. So I am not a fan of unlimited immigration like at all. I see Cody's face. Cody. <laughs> you have something to say. I see Cody's face too. And I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in it. I'm just yeah, kidding. yeah. I, um, I, I agree with lo- a lot of what uh, Madam Chairwoman said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I think that there's a line here that we have to be careful of because is it a proper role of government to define what? the American identity is. And because I think if if you put it in government's hands to defend that identity, then you also give government the power to define that identity. And I think that's a really nuanced question because when you're talking about um, security, I think that there's a valid, there's a valid question there of determining, you know, how to protect um Americans and individuals from people who are coming into the country. But that's also true of people who visit the country as much as it is of of people who want to live here and become citizens here. Um, And so I think that that's that's similar. Uh, It might be a more, I mean, it's a longer game than a shorter game, but, um, you know, somebody who wants to harm our country or our citizens or, or our people could just as easily fly in as a visitor and then do harm just as much as they could try and immigrate here. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and we've seen that happen. I don't disagree mm-hmm. that like, if you want to come in and your goal is to hurt Americans, I mean, you can do it. And I'm also definitely not suggesting that I think that's why people are immigrating here. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I'm just saying, I think that immigration limits make it easier for the government to actually in- enforce private property rights for their citizens. I mean, because if you talk about private property, I don't think we're only talking about land. I think we're talking about jobs and other things that you could argue belong to people and are things that are a part of their life. Um, and and I don't think it's solely in the government's hands to define what it means to be an American. Uh, I mean, I think most Americans who really understand that would say, no, there's an American spirit that can be found anywhere in the world. And yet, when you're talking about the borders of a country, that's almost like the very basic thing of what it means to be an American. Well, you do actually have to live here to be an actual American. You can want to be an American, dream about being an American, but you're really not one unless you live here. Yeah. Yeah. You're not an American citizen unless, you know, like you. So, But there I think there are American ideals that are true everywhere. But yes, technically, right, you, you just as, you know. You're an Italian. If you live and are a citizen of Italy, it's the same. It's a legal definition. I would push back about jobs, though, because I don't think that individuals have you don't have a property right or an individual right to a job. Um, And I would actually argue that immigration can, in some instances, infringe on people's right to contract in the sense of employers. Right. Because basically what you're saying is employer X, whether it's small business or big business, you are prohibited from entering a contract with individual Y because they don't have a status that we deem important as the government. And so I think you actually can potentially limit liberty. And this is where those guest worker programs came in um, and I know are are a uh, interesting topic amongst the various political parties these days. They basically got no support from either party and then they kind of just went away. Um, after a while, because it was it wasn't a real path to uh, a lot of a lot of uh, individuals were taking advantage of the guest worker programs and then had no interest in immigrating, which isn't exactly what one party was looking for. And then basically, it had an influx of individuals who were just kind of coming and going every day, which wasn't what the other party was looking for. So they there were some interesting, but you know, I think that that immigration, that restrictive immigration, can harm individuals ability to contract which can harm the economy which can have other effects so you know i think there's a valid uh we we assume that it is a you know we identify that it's a proper role of government to protect individuals and to protect uh individual rights so i think that there is a security question there but i'm not as convinced on the property side 
So I'm going to ask you a weird question then. So if you think it infringes on contract rights, um, and I agree that generally you should be allowed to contract with who you choose, but what about if an employer says, hey, I want to contract with convicted felons I want to who are currently in prison. I want them to come work for me. Like who's the government to say that you can't release prisoners to me to come work on my farm or in my factory because that's who I want to contract with. And clearly the government prohibits that. I mean, I think, and I think it's, it's a matter of where are the lines drawn? I mean, there has to be, I don't believe in, I believe in freedom and liberty, but I believe there are responsible limits in order to guard the protections of other people and the rights of other people. And so I would argue an unlimited right to contract can, you know, put other people in danger or again, I don't think immigration is dangerous. That's not where I'm going. But I think government has a real interest in protecting its own citizens first. What do you think? think? Yes and no. So so the one thing I'm going to say is obviously anybody that's, uh, you know, has served their time and is out of prison, obviously you should be able to contract with them. No problem. But I don't think that's not what you're asking. You're asking about current. Okay. Yes. Well, so the difference there is that, in my view, is that those people society has deemed by violating state law to be uh, presumptively dangerous. And that's why they're in jail, right? There's a whole host of problems. If you aren't deemed presumptively dangerous, should you be in jail? Probably not. Should you be in prison? Probably not. I'm not going to get into criminal justice reform, but let's say somebody that committed a violent crime, um, breaking and entering with the intent to harm, right? Right. Um, and they are in jail. The reason that they are in jail is because they have been deemed by the state to be a danger to society. And so that's a limit based on dangerousness, which is protecting property and and individual rights. There's not that definition necessarily on immigrants. And that's where I think that this key question is, where is the line on defining safety? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's probably okay that there um, is some measure of control over safety. But unlike people who are in prison, you can't say that that immig- immigrants are presumptively dangerous. Oh, no. But, and I wouldn't. Yeah. I'm more I'm more getting at, you know, do you think there are limits on the right to contract? And perhaps your limit is like dangerousness or, or, or relating it to safety. And I more take the position that I think a government that is looking out for the interests of its citizens who have willingly placed themselves under the control of that government, that government has the right to limit certain contracts. And I wouldn't only base it on dangerousness. I would extend it to a few other things. But if you have that limit, like I understand that limit. I don't think, I don't know that I I haven't thought this fully through clearly. (laughs) Um, So I don't know that dangerousness is the only limit, but that is the distinction I would draw there. I think um, that the immigration issue much more closely resembles like the minimum wage issue than it does, like, than it would be analogous to like a contracting with um, current felons or, or currently imprisoned individuals. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I, the biggest problem to me with immigration is that we're just most of the time, we're not actually talking about immigration, right? We're talking about all of these ethereal policies and we're talking about culture and spirit. And we're not actually talking about the, the the problems. And I think that's what's, this is an interesting conversation. I don't, I didn't expect this to go to this, this route uh, necessarily, but Sam, you've been, an interesting week. So I'm just going to throw it all out of you. <laughs> the jumble of thoughts in my head are coming out on you guys. <laughs> Stan, you've been quiet for a while. Where, do, where do you come out on this? Uh, great question. Uh, I was going to take the middle approach, but Cody, I was, I was actually expecting you not to take the middle approach. And I think, you oh, can. I'm so sorry. It, uh, no, no, fine. Um, <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, so, I apologize for my beliefs, Stanton, <laughs> that they're not convenient to your approach. No, 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 no. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So for the sake of intellectual exploration, I'm going to take teacher. the position. Yay. I'm going to take the position I thought you were going to take. Um <clears throat> I think that anyone should move anywhere they want to unrestricted so long as it doesn't go over private property. Period. Because you can't cross private property or what uh, you no, private? you cannot cross private property. If it's private property, that is to be defended by the person who owns that private property. Unless you're um, invited. Unless you're invited, right? Come for a barbecue, right? <laughs> 
Okay. No trespassing. No trespassing. Come for barbecue. Um, you know, if, if if I want to hire some kid from Guatemala who has this amazing insight into shepherding and I own a sheep farm, I should be able to hire that Guatemalan kid at an, whatever rate that we agree upon and he should be able to come onto my private property Whenever I say so, there shouldn't be any restriction to that whatsoever. So I will, t- I will take you up on that challenge, Christy. I do believe in an unlimited right of contracting. Okay. I will take that okay. because if if we take the the right of private property of self ownership seriously, mm-hmm. then to tell someone that you can't come onto this other person's private property by their permission denies both the property of the person who gives the invitation and the property of the body to the person who wants to come onto the property, right? So what if he has to cross public property to get there though, or public airspace, or, I mean, does the nation who arguably owns the public property have any right to deny him access to that in order to get to the private property? Cody, would you like to guess what I'm about to say? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, there's no authority of the federal government to own property. Bingo. There, there's no constitutional authority for the federal government to own property. In fact, I'll go a step further. I don't think there should ever be a thing called public property to begin with. Government property is nonsense. Collective ownership of anything is bluey. Unless there is a voluntary, mutual, consented upon contract that you, me, and Joe own something together, there's no such thing as government property. And if there is, it certainly isn't owned by the federal government who controls the borders. So yeah, I will take this to the extreme. <laughs> I will make people squirm in their seats. I don't think there's such a thing as public airspace or public roads. I think every, I will take Ron Swanson. I think our public parks should be run by Chuck E. Cheese. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. so who I'm very, I'm, I, I love these kind of discussions. So who do you think then since public property does exist and public roads do exist, um, since we do not live in an ideal world, mm-hmm. what would you do with them under their current construction? How would who should control them? Who should have the right sure. to if, cross them or determine who does? From we, what I've seen of of Chuck E. Cheese, they're not currently in a position to purchase <laughs> all federal and state land. They are trying know. to go bankrupt, and they can't. They just the the, the robots just exist. They the last Chuck E. Cheese I saw was literally boarded up with $5 pizza <laughs> spray painted on the plywood over their windows. So oh it wasn't so looking great. No. Um, so if we're going to take this, this, this kind of extreme approach to what we have now, um, here's the general gist. If government owns property, first off, it should be state governments, not, not the federal government. But one way or the other doesn't really matter for what we're about to, for what I'm about to say. It should be that if it's public, the public can use it. doesn't It doesn't have to be restricted to the citizenry. Now that gets into problem of taxes or whatever. But yes, if we does. already if we already pay payroll taxes, then payroll taxes fund the treasury just as much as any other taxes, right? So the immigrants are going to have to pay for that one way or the other. We talk about crime. We don't need excessive border patrol or immigration control for that because it's already a crime. Like, you know, if if I shoot Cody and an immigrant shoots Cody, sorry, Cody, there's already <laughs> a crime against that that can be prosecuted. You don't need an additional layer of immigration to manage that. So and I'm equally as shot. <laughs> you are equally as <laughs> shot. That it's just a matter of whether or not the, the, the bullet was Russian or American. I don't know why. I mean, that doesn't depend on immigrants. I know plenty of guys using Russian <laughs> munitions these days. <laughs> I bet you do, Cody. I bet you do. Allegedly, friend, sorry. Allegedly, I may or may not know people. The ATF is definitely listening. <laughs> that, that that sounds like, what, what's that question? Are you armed? Maybe. There's <laughs> the only right answer, right? Um, so that so that's what I'm saying, right? You know, if, if the government is operating these roads, if it's operating this public infrastructure that um, immigrants have to use to access private property, then they're already paying for it in payroll taxes. And if they commit a crime, it's already prosecutable by regular by regular law. So there really is no need for uh, government intervention one way or the other. That's that's how I see it. 
So how does national security play into that then? So if you say, okay, what if we adopted your viewpoint and said, okay, mm -hmm. all public doesn't even have to be a citizen. You're going to eventually pay taxes. Even if you don't now, just like kids, well, they can use it. They'll eventually pay taxes. Um, but does the government have any obligation to its citizens to evaluate who is crossing the borders and who is coming in to make sure they're not a terrorist to make, and I'm, but of course, again, I'll repeat, I'm not suggesting the majority of immigrants are, of course they're not, right. but there are some that are. Mm -hmm. So what's the government's obligation to protect the lives and liberty of their current citizens in evaluating that? If we have a government that is designed for the protection of its citizenry from outside aggression, I, I think we have to be really, really careful about how we define outside aggression. We're talking about outside aggression as an army amassing on the borders. Okay, then border patrol looks like a border war, right? It looks like it looks like a, a military conflict. If we're talking about outside aggressors as terrorists, okay, that that brings in a lot of nasty questions. Primarily the nasty question of domestic surveillance, because any surveillance that you have on the border without any uh, so, so if you're trying to do uh, uh, strong immigration for national security, that means you have to have a surveillance state looking outward, right? Looking outward towards everyone so that for those who come in, we know who is coming in. But that outside surveillance is useless without an equal level of domestic surveillance. So whoever you track coming into the country, no, you know, if... if if we if we suspect that immigrant XYZ is a suspected terrorist and we have our eyes on him, we have eyes coming in, that's immigration, that's immigration control, great. And then do we just not track him at, as soon as he walks in or what? Do we do we just are we blind internally? Having an outside, an external eye of surveillance towards suspected criminals or suspected terrorists even necessitates that we have just as much domestic internal eyes and surveillance, which is problematic for a lot of reasons. Domestic surveillance by the state, we could say it's all in the name of national security, but we've seen how national security has been abused as an excuse for violating not just immigrants' rights, but American rights as a whole. So to me, yes, I suppose there are national security questions, mm -hmm. but if you suggest that we have to have strong immigrant uh, security for mm -hmm. national security. That means you also have to have strong domestic security. And this is where you get things like the Department of Homeland Security, one of the most egregious <laughs> affronts to the Americans uh, experiment ever. So that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what I think. Yeah. And I well, think and so domestic surveillance a, is definitely a very um, layered, complicated issue. Right. Right. Will, it's, um, it's hard. From it's commenting hard. on at the moment. It's, it's so hard layered. to unravel. It's a, it's a pickle and a half. Yeah. yeah. So there's a really interesting position on this stand that's very similar to kind of the the, the position that you are taking the role of. Uh, I won't ascribe. I am uh, passionately embodying this devil here. You're doing good. You're doing for good. at least the next 20 minutes. <laughs> um, so Ilya Soman, who's a, who's a fairly well-known scholar, has a really um, strong position that's very similar to your stand, the, the one you're advocating, Stanton, in that he... Um, does a very good job of really filling in. So anybody that's kind of interested in that, I would direct them to him. Say his name again. Ilya Soman. Ilya Soman. And so basically, so the big argument, right, is that the Constitution does not give the federal government power to control immigration. The word immigration does not appear in the Constitution, um, partly because the word immigration wasn't all that commonly used in, in right. I don't even know if it was. So they had, in, they had naturalization. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's the clause that actually exists. And so that's article one, section eight, clause four, which gives Congress the power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. So there's an argument out there amongst constitutionalists that says that only States have the power to control uh, immigration which is this argument here of what if they're crossing public property? Well, that's the state's property if it's then in that case. And so only states can control immigration, but the federal government has the power to control naturalization, which is the process of becoming a citizen. So it's this kind of hybrid approach of you give the state governments the ability that are on the borders, the ability to control their borders in this kind of 
federalism inspired system. And, but in order to protect the constitutional rule of law, you allow the federal government and Congress specifically to establish the rule for naturalization. And it's this interesting hybrid approach because in much in, in like anything, right? So Arizona is going to care a lot more about what crosses the Arizona border than Washington, D.C. will. And they're going to be a lot better equipped to deal with that problem. Um, so immigration has been deemed to be a federal power by the courts um, as a plenary power. Imp- implied or inherent? Inherent. It, yeah, inherent. Both? Because because yeah. there's, there's that difference, right? If It's implied if there's a textual basis for it. It's inherent if it's not. Like draft, like the military draft. I think the military draft is unconstitutional, but the courts have said it's inherent to a power of government to enact war. So is it inherent? Is it implied? I know that the difference is kind of pedantic, but. You know, I'm not certain, to be honest. Okay. I don't think I've, I've checked. <laughs> yeah, I don't That's know. I'm not even the lawyer, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You've hit on the legal question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure they would say it was both, right? That yeah, it would probably. be inherent within their just general national security, their police power. Well, no, there is no federal police power, but you know what I mean? National yeah. security issue. Yeah, yeah. And as well as being um, implied by naturalization. So that's the strongest argument against it. Oftentimes is that there wasn't, we didn't use the word immigration by naturalization. They meant the entire process, which included immigrating and then right. becoming a citizen. That's, so there is a there is a textual and uh, an original public meaning argument against it, but is this really interesting um, kind of theory? Because, and, and what Ilya Soman advocates for is right is voting with the feet is that's more important than the ballot box at the end of the day. So having people in and then allowing them free movement amongst the country is more beneficial as a whole is his position. So that, with that yeah. position, what about, I'll ask another random question. Uh, if we did allow states to regulate immigration as they see fit, and to your point, you're right that the states near the border would have a lot more, uh, probably say so over that, than once, you know, in the middle of the country. But would that create border situations between states? Would have what to. if we had states near the borders who wanted to welcome as many immigrants as possible because it's good for the economy or whatever. They were just governed by people who liked that idea. And the state next to them was very opposed to that much immigration. And there was a very clear flow between the state borders. Would that cause a situation where a state who didn't like its neighboring state's immigration policy to put up border patrols and immigration police in between the two states? Oh, it would probably cause a bunch of problems. It would, it would sure. have it would have to necessitate an <laughs> internal passport system, something yeah, something equivalent to the EU, which right? sounds pretty offensive. That you could yeah. you could immigrate into a member state of the country, but without right. a citizen passport, you can't go between the states as you will. So, and that so that create I, I would it would have to necessitate that. My my other question is, you know, that's that's the obvious one, right? What what do you do with the other states who like? Hold on. What? My questions are always the obvious ones. (laughs) I mean, I I don't think so. I think that's a great question. The the other, the other question is, um, Oh, I lost it. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Nope. That's okay. Oh, I'm used to talking. I'm talking a lot. Hey, hey, it won. The talking one, right? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, I did have another question on the, the legal aspect. If, the states controlled, and this goes to kind of what Chris was saying, if the states controlled the immigration process of coming in, but the federal government controlled the aspect of who is a citizen, does that, because I'm, I'm thinking of the 14th Amendment problems. Mm. How would it, it come up? The idea of equal, equal protection and due process. The idea that... Right. Grant equal protection hasn't been used by the courts in any serious manner for a while under the 14th, but it's I still love equal protection. Hmm. It, it's still, I mean, you still have due process of wait, this person can travel, but I can't. That because yeah, it doesn't because the constitution applies to more than just citizens. So right, the 14th in particular, yeah. Not entirely. Right. But not this is my question, right? Yeah. I, I, well, I, and so I, this I, is yeah. 
I think this is my big problem. And that's why, you know, I'm taking the middle ground. You know, we joke a lot that I'm more of an anarcho-libertarian, but that's oftentimes a joke, right? It, in the truest sense of the word, I am through and through a constitutionalist. That is, um, you know, I, I was having this conversation with a coworker. I could not sit down and name 15 people today that I could get consent for, for the whole country that I would trust to write a better constitution than we have. Couldn't do it. I could okay. not name a panel of 15 that you would get approval of to redraft the constitution. Also in our current state, I still pick our government, our constitutional form of government over any other one in the world, 10 out of 10 times, right? I, I can't think of another country where I would go, you know what, I would rather have their form of government, right? I, so I am a constitutional. How about Rome? How about Rome? Well, well, okay. <laughs> no, see, this is the thing. I love Rome. I'm a, I'm, I am enamored with it. Rome had a lot of problems, right? Yeah, we had come slavery, you know. There was a yeah, slavery was rampant. The system. One of the theories of the downfall of Rome is because they could rely so heavily on slavery. There was no need to have any sort of um, ideological improvement of certain things because you could just have more and more slaves. Also, the Roman slavery system was offensive. So was the Roman caste system. So was, there's a lot of problems with Rome. I just needed um, you to give the Roman history lesson of the day. Oh Thank yeah, and you need I need the prompt right. Uh, yeah, like Rome had a ton of issues. It just shows us exactly what's going to be coming for us. But um, <laughs> it's interesting that you know, you know, you 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 say I am a constitutionalist through and through. I I've I've thought about you know that that statement before for myself. My constitutionalist, and the answer I have come to recently over the past oh probably year and a half, two years is I am a constitutionalist so long as it matches my views on liberty as soon as it doesn't so you're, so you're not a constitutionalist no because <laughs> because the yeah. problem with the constitution is that is article 5 okay as soon as article uh, as soon as you amend the constitution to deny liberty and freedom bogus no you're like a partial constitutionalist i, I, well, I, I mean, you can call me you can call me whatever you want i i revere the declaration <laughs> more than the constitution now granted that's I, fair i will 100 agree with cody that i would not choose any other document to govern over me except that one that, yeah. that exists today right i probably go i back was gonna to say we're, we're we're going back to the articles, articles now. <laughs> <laughs> but as exists today i would take the constitution over anything else but i don't know if i would consider myself a constitutionalist i am so long as it can provide me the maximum freedom possible um so okay. so this is where i was going with this yes please. before we so i i think the big problem some of the, what we're debating right is like oh well what about like substantive due process well is that a constitutional theory or is that a judicially created doctrine later on that is a witch's spell made up from a book <laughs> written by some curmudgeon of a harpy i i <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a spell to it's a it's a hex right and and so this is the problem and that's why i probably have this a kind of a weird hybrid position where i where i normally wouldn't on immigration because in theory so this is the problem with roads right everybody comes to libertarians like well what about the roads and, and my answer always is look if we're worried about the roads then i've done my job because we've solved all the other problems <laughs> the roads are the last thing to be cared about well immigration isn't that right it's not the last thing that we need to figure out it's a pressing question for mm -hmm. us. And as a result, you have to kind of pay the devil a little bit. That is pragmatism. And this is where I get into this really problematic scenario of in a perfect constitutional form of government, immigration is almost irrelevant because you can't wield the power of government against the individual. And individuals are empowered to defend their own property and to take responsibility of their own property. So it's so much less of a problem because you you don't have to worry about government but in today's world where you have you know this idea that we're going to abolish the electoral college and have majority rule is and then you start allowing for open borders or unfettered immigration that's when i think you start getting into problematic questions because as soon as you remove the safeguards of wielding the monopolization of force against your fellow man, then you've got to be careful. And that's where I think we are, right? We're in a place now where 
this monopolization of force is being wielded in a way that it was never intended to be wielded. And that's where I think that there's some measure of kind of like pragmatic concern. And Christy, I think that's where a lot of your questions are going to is this idea of like, we live in, this is always the conflict between, you know, self-identified conservatives and self-identified libertarians is that libertarians tend, they, the accusation is that libertarians tend to be more of a idealized ideological utopian idea and conservatives tend to view themselves as more of a, a pragmatic in today's world. But I think that's where a lot of this tension along the spectrum is coming is, could you have, you know, open borders and unfettered immigration with the government that we had in 1791, It was probably less of a concern. It was less of something that was on their minds, right? They were invite, they wanted people, they needed the the, the power. The last thing they wanted to do is create a system that would keep people out. Um, And so to me, the only thing that we can do is really begin the process of returning to a constitutional form of government. And as we begin to returning to that process, then the, I think immigration should follow. I think it's too, it's right now it's broken in the way that all government is broken in that it's just bureaucratic red tape that has serves no purpose other than to like fulfill its own agenda. And that's the problem, right? Is people want job security, especially people in (laughs) government positions. (laughs) They do. So I, and that's kind of where I think a lot of the like spectrum tension is going between the three. Mm. I think that's a good summary. I think that makes sense. And, and yeah, I agree. I tend to, um, I tend to, I mean, of course I would, I'm a conservative, so I tend to go more to the, well, what issues like are we actually dealing with today? And even if mm-hmm. something's ideal, what would be the implications of it? And if it's unworkable and bad for our country, I'll, I will probably be against it, but I agree that today the laws are just so messed up. I mean, I was actually looking at immigration on the border today. Um, The whole idea of like kids in cages, which, you know, whatever you want to say about that term, there's a record number of them being held in in adult detention facilities right now with a third of them being held past the legally required deadline at which you are supposed to set these children Free. Are they are they minors in facilities or children yeah. in cages? I forget. They are minors are we going in facilities. With this week? Which you know that's where the headlines are reflecting this week. But the point is, like the laws are unworkable. If that's the situation that's going on, the laws we have are not actually applicable to the situations we're facing. And that is my biggest problem. Is I'm fine with America controlling its immigration laws and controlling our borders, but. If we have an unworkable system, no wonder everyone's mad at the system, no matter what party you are, no matter what views you subscribe to, our immigration system is kind of junky to be nice. Do you like anything? If you don't have an a, a relatively easily accessible legal market for anything, then the natural response is to create an illegal market. Yep. Right. And and so when you have this cluster of American immigration laws that are unnavigable don't make any sense and have 15 year long delays, mm-hmm. you are creating an incentive for there to be a black market, an illicit market. Yeah. And not allowing the people in who should get in like refugees and asylum seekers. And in my view, in some cases, we really are sending people back to their debts. And that is what I have a huge problem with personally. If I were going to reform the system, that'd be like the first thing I'd work on. Just. You guys remember um, during class, there was this video on immigration, this, an older proposal. Pence was a part of it. Do you guys remember that proposal? Like the oh, car? Yeah, vaguely. That's the guest worker program that I was talking about. Is that like, what that was? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's called the red card program. Yes. It was literally a red oh, yeah. card. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So basically it was like, you go through a, a background check, you get a red card, you cross the border, you swipe your red card, you can come in and work into the country, like work in the country freely. They pay, you pay the same taxes as you would, um, but then you're allowed to leave and bring your earnings back to your home country. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't know if that was the program you were talking about, but that, that system, I mean, of all, the, of all the, the more or less pragmatic solutions, that seems to be the most sensible. The, the problem is the uh, Democrats are, are right in saying that it didn't kind of like open up a path to Im- legal immigration for individuals. It just kind of further perpetuated this problem. 
which is true, but it also ignores the idea that some people don't want to immigrate. They just want to work and then money. go home. Yeah. And why not? I know, I know plenty yeah. of people that were in the United States from Mexico. They were like, look, I live here because I have to, to work and feed my family. But like, I, I wish I could go home to Mexico. Yeah. Oh, who yeah. doesn't, who doesn't love their homeland? Who, who doesn't want to yeah. go back and say, I mean, I'm, I'm here because I have to. Yeah. And then, yeah. So that was the big problem with Democrats. And then with Republicans, it just didn't really ever gain any, um, any steam as a, a viable solution because they were just pre- predominantly worried about um, abuse of the system and still security at the border was still a question. And so it just kind of like died. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Okay. Um, so let's see. Let's see if we can do a, a review here. We've kind of done one already. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. So I don't know. You know, I think we have a difficult time because, you know, like you said, are we dealing with reality or are we dealing dealing with with this? Uh, the, what what should it be, right? And and there's always this, there's always that that tension, that balance. Um, so I suppose I'll ask uh, uh, perhaps a, a side question that's related to this, but isn't quite. Um, Hmm. I'm having a hard time putting this into words. I need, I need, I need Chrissy's talking. I need Chrissy's winning, winning tongue right now. Um, <laughs> oh, there's a limit. <laughs> <laughs> so Chrissy, you're talking about who should and should not get in right now. That doesn't necessarily have to do with um, how immigration should work on the whole. Right. When I say on the whole, I mean, should it be open? Should it be restricted? Let's say we we agree that it should be restricted some way, somehow, right? Cody, you and I, we all kind of are there. But you talk about who should and should not get in. Does that worry you on a government def- gets to define the problem? Because when no, I, I you know I'm not opposed to uh, allowing uh, refugees and, uh, and and asylum seekers in. I'm just saying, as soon as you say that these people can get in unrestricted, but others can't. You start allowing government to create classes of people. How- so it doesn't bother me if I'm being honest, um, and I'll just put it out there. Okay, I, um- <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear it. Okay, the reason it doesn't is because I think, again, pragmatically, who else defines it? If the government doesn't define, under our current system, where there are public lands and the government defines their borders. Like who else defines, you know, the class of people who gets to come in? Do I think it's completely fair? Do I think there could be errors? Do I think it can open up the government to discriminating against people? Yes, but I don't think there is a better solution because I think you give that decision to individuals, you have the same problems. And then what, in this state, you allow these kind of people to enter. In this state, you allow those kind of people to enter. And it's still government doing it if it's states. What if we did first um, come, first serve? I think a lot of very needy people would get excluded because some people in some countries don't have the same information. They don't have access. And here I sound like a Democrat, but they don't have access to like equality. I care about equality. And <laughs> legitimately, I mean, Mexico also is by nature, closer to the United States of America than refugees in Rwanda, which were created, you know, years ago during their genocide. They don't have the same access. So I'm not a fan of first come, first serve, in all honesty. And of course, I do have a concern with government defining who gets to immigrate because government is the, you know, the Leviathan, right? It's the ever-growing beast. And it will invariably define things in ways to increase its own power. And that's what concerns me most is this idea of, look, we acknowledge in almost, well, in every, well, we acknowledge in almost every context, but in every context, government sucks at <laughs> accomplishing things and doing things well. And I tend to, uh, and that's me adding an unnecessary modifier, trust the market over our, over government to decide things. And so again, because I'm wishy-washy on this issue, I don't know that that government shouldn't have any role in defining, but I definitely am worried about the idea of government defining the appropriate class and category. Um, I think that that's what paves the way for 
refugee discrimination, like what Christie's worried about, but also like what happened in World War II. I mean, that was, you know, government defining the need of individuals. And so I think that there that there is a heightened concern anytime you give the government that power. However, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know I have that I, you know, Christie's got a good answer that results in some in a, in a policy position or in a position. And my position in this instance is kind of like, I don't like it. And I don't know what else I would do. <laughs> so one of the, one of the reasons I bring this up, um, because I think a lot of people would say, yeah, refugee and, and legitimate political asylum seekers, that's fine. But then you have a question, should we allow people who are going to benefit the country? Yeah. And then what does benefit mean? Okay. Because what, and this is a real problem. It's not a problem for us. It's a problem for the world. We have a tendency to allow not only immigration, but easy citizenship for particularly intelligent and capable people like doctors, scientists, etc. Now, as a country or even as a government who might hire those people, not a problem. That's really good. But yeah, now we have but now we have a, a another level of classification in which those who might be seeking economic opportunity who aren't brilliant physicists can't get in. And, and that's where I get in this problem of like, that's why I'm tending towards as the the mo- the least kind of restrictive as possible because both of those people should be able to get in. You know, I don't subscribe to this idea that um, a foreign country has any more claim over an individual because they're intelligent than the U.S. If somebody is a, an astrophysicist and they want to come to the United States, great. We'll take yeah, it. I'm not, I'm not saying we, re- we reject that. I'm just saying our immigration deliberately favors that. Right. Yeah. And a lot of other countries complain about this, right? Because then there's We're this- We're taking them. Exactly. There's a theory out there that the United States, by taking all of these intelligent individuals, is preventing other countries from raising themselves out of poverty and out of third world status. I don't American care. It's exceptionalism, not, basically. <laughs> that's yeah, but that government has no claim over that individual. Yeah. You don't own yeah. your people, so that idea can pound sand. But <laughs> I don't necessarily think that you should prioritize an astrophysicist over somebody that is tr- coming to America to to work and have a better life and to contribute and to to be a law abiding individual. I think that that's great. So that's why I'm kind of on this wishy washy position of. I don't like the definitions. I don't like the quotas. I don't like the status quo. I like the idea of making the system as accessible as possible, but I might be with Christy on some level of like figuring out the security question, but I don't even, I don't know, man, this is a tough one. (laughs) Stanton is, no one can see this, but Stanton has the smuggest look on his face that I have ever seen. I've got a, I've got a big shit grin on my face. (laughs) In introducing this topic. Explicit, explicit, explicit word. We'll have, we'll have to put some sort of warning. (laughs) I think I swore at an episode earlier. I think you're right. Yeah. If my, if no parent has come to me from their kids, listen to it. I don't think I'll be a problem. Okay. I think, I think at this point we're either going to go around in circles or we're just going to be crushing our heads trying to figure out how to define this problem from a principled perspective versus a just sheer utilitarian pragmatic perspective, which just feels dirty, feels ugly. So I never promised the people answers. The only thing we (laughs) promised was discussions on liberty and truth. Now you sound like me with my students. (laughs) (laughs) And very strong positions on the best and worst days of the week. That's all we can offer people. And by the way, I got I got to put it out there. That Tuesday is the worst day of the week. That was not my original theory. That is my wife Anastasia's. She developed that. I want to. I I I got my myself raked over the coals for not for not giving due credit. So so is that due her, credit, honey? Is that her IP? Her intellectual uh, property? Yes, intellectual Ooh. property. For those of you who aren't aware, that will be our next topic. But before we end today and. Uh, and say our goodbyes. Chrissy Cody, do you have any shout outs? Yeah. So actually the event I just got out back from was a Freedom Hunters event. Uh, and so Anthony Pace is the the individual that runs that organization is the one that had us out. Uh, we sponsored the event. And so it's a really cool organization that's uh, providing like hunting and fishing and outdoor excursions for wounded veterans. Um, and so it was a really inspiring to see 
all walks of life of people out there kind of supporting the cause. So um, given that I just got back from hanging out on the golf course in South Carolina in support of that cause, I, I wanted to give them a shout out and just, if that's an issue that you're passionate about, go and check them out, see the work they're doing. Um, they're doing some cool things. Very good. Christy. That's awesome. I like that. Well, I will, I will say thank you to all the members of the state central committee um, voted for me <laughs> last Saturday and I will make the argument that the Republican party is the last hope of defending freedom in America because <laughs> I'm the chairperson. So I better make sure that happens now. <laughs> You you are you are the you are the banner holder now, right? You're the bannerman. Oh, um, I have two shout outs. Um, I have a, is that allowed? I don't know. Do we have is that in our, our constitution? Do we do we allow multiples? <laughs> no, I'm just are, are you are you saying I cannot freely express and use my voice, my vocal cords to say as I so choose? How dare you, Cody W last name? <laughs> I guess we'll allow it. Um uh, I have a, a lot of my students who I teach who who listen to this. They they found it somehow, one way or another. Um, thank you all for listening. I hope you got more out of listening to this than you did in my class, which you were probably asleep because you were freshmen. But hey, I'm glad you're listening now. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, there is a uh, a person from my hometown, Sterling, uh, named Joanne Gilliland. Apparently she listens to every word we have to say and she she's just here for it. So thank you so much uh listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um okay, I think I think we've I think we've done it. I think we've started the first we've solved uh, immigration. We um uh, yes, oh, no. <laughs> we've, we've solved we've solved how to ask about immigration. <laughs> um we hey, got we've got I've more. seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Knowing the question is the problem. Bring your towel. Bring your towel. Um, we have more of these great debate episodes coming. Um, usually I say we don't know what we'll talk about next time. I'm pretty sure we'll, we're going to talk about IP. Um, and IP definitely has some self-evident questions. It definitely has some forgotten aspects about it. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SEF underscore pod, as well as Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time.